All right, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Hello, everyone. Hi, Hannah. Hello. How are we today? We are phenomenal. Wonderful. Good, good. Welcome, everyone, to tell me something I didn't need to know. Thank you. You're welcome. So glad you're here with it's us today. It's been so long since someone's welcomed me here. I'm uh-huh. Hannah Green. I'm Lynn Samuels. I guess that leaves me Mary Swartz. Oh. I'll be Mary today. Oh, I'm so glad. I, I think you make a great Mary. I'm going to try to fill her f- shoes, but, you know, she has rather large feet. I think you'll do a fine job. How they have large feet? Yes, but usually that is for gentlemen, not ladies. Oh, no, I've heard about women with large feet. Does that mean they have a large hoo-ha? No, it means they have a large mouth to put them in. Oh, my goodness. I was thinking large shoes, but (laughs) wow. That's really what I have, too, is wow. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say it's true because we all know that, you know, what they say about men with large feet isn't true. It isn't? No. How do you know? How many guys have you been with, Hannah? How many guys with large feet have you been with? (laughs) A few, and trust me, it's not true. Johanna's done the research, so we don't have to. All right. I've also read about it because I read about a lot of things. Okay. Lynn, what are you drinking today? Uh, I am drinking my usual coffee. Oh, Mary, that's quite lovely. Would I serve you a drink that wasn't quite lovely? We are drinking spiced cranberry wine. It smells. The smell alone is enough to go. I need a moment. Yeah. I just took a little baby sip and it's lovely. Oh my gosh, that is, I don't think we tried that in our tasting. We didn't. But I got it in my wine club and we had already purchased a bottle. Also, I love the color of this bottle. It's like the bottle itself has like a purple tint to it. It does. It's beautiful. Yes. Is Is that St. Julian? Yeah, this is is a spiced cranberry from St. Julian's. I don't. I I, I had it. I don't think that that's something they carry all the time. It is very very nice because the spices are not I, what I would consider totally typical of what I expect. Uh-uh. No. I uh, I replace cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving with, at least for my, myself. It's Three adult. servings of fruits and vegetables right here, ladies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. right. I do. I like that it's nice. It is. It's super nice. I oh. like it. We may need both bottles today. Lynn? Yes, ma'am. Do you happen to have a word of the week for us? Oh, yes, I do. All right. Oh, it sounds like it could be good. Pertinacity. 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 Well, pertinent means... um, Important. Important. Tenacity is uh, stick-with-itness. Doggedness. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Pertinacity. It's like the nose that won't go away. I was thinking it's like having a really big ego. Like you think you're, it's a self-importance. Self-importance, ooh. Pertinacity, can you use that word in a sentence or tell us a little bit about it, please, Vanna? Yes, yes, yes. It is uh, from 1495, from oh, Latin, great. again. Great. A Latin word, so you gotta know Latin for this one. And her pertinacity served her well, and now she is the CFO of Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Which leaves all of us out. <laughs> Notice I said CFO. Do you know what CFO is? Yes, Chief Financial Officer. Yes, 
And since there's no finances involved, that leaves all of us out. <laughs> yes, there are. There's a big red number. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Well, is it her hoo-ha? Sisters, <laughs> <laughs> I doubt if any of us would get hooha with each other. I'm really confused how your hoo-ha might have gotten you here. <laughs> Imagination. Um, hmm. I'm going with midlife crisis. <laughs> okay. What is pertinacity? You actually were correct at the beginning, Mary, with tenacity, doggedness. It is uh, holding tenaciously to a purpose or stubborn. Oh. All right. We have all been known to be pertinacious then. Yes. Pertinacious, yes. And okay. that you can. All right. It's very pertinacious. All right. Are you ready, ladies? We're always ready. Macroscopic. Ma We're not talking about feet now, are we? <laughs> penises that you can't see because they're so tiny. No, macro is large. Macroscopic. <laughs> micro is small. Macro is large. She's confusing huge. her penises now. Yes, huge. Like guys with big feet don't always have. Like, it leads them into the room. <laughs> so if you're microscopic, yeah, it's tiny. So macro would have to be large. Yeah, okay. What was the word again, Hannah? <laughs> macroscopic. Macroscopic. So like a germ is microscopic. It's so like the Hubble telescope. Like a huge, like a planet or something. It's very large. <laughs> Your bulls actually pretty pretty accurate on that macroscopic is visible to the naked eye it is in fact the opposite of microscopic oh so it doesn't have to be huge just doesn't have to be huge it just is visible to the naked eye yes gotcha so it could be penises then yes i i feel like yes yes it, most penises are ah. definitely even if they are a micro penis they are still macroscopic she feels like she's not certain. She hasn't done a survey yet. Yes. She's got to do more research. Um, well, you know, <laughs> for example, mold, mold when it first begins is microscopic, but after a few days, it becomes macroscopic. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Can you spell that? F U N A M B U L I S T. I've got nothing. Someone was able to have fun. The three of us would not make very good phenumbalists. Phenumbalists. At all. Monks? We wouldn't make good monks? <laughs> who have taken a vow of silence. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's funny. That is uh, funny. Um, that is funny. You could find a phenumbalist in a circus. Acrobatic person, probably. Like somebody who's very limber. Ooh. How about a tightrope walker? Perfect. Exactly. It's a tightrope walker. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. How do you know I wouldn't be a good one? Maybe I'm well balanced. Maybe in your diet needs, but that's about it. Wow. All right. Mary, do you have a tidbit for us? Of course. Of course we do. All 
All right. If you bombed on your last Valentine's Day gift to your sweetie, or maybe you're looking for a little something unique for a birthday for someone you care about. Buy a flower from the St. Anselm's Mother's Day flower sale. Maybe you're just looking to score some points with the fast food lover in your life. Oof. The french fry lover in your life may go head over peels for this idea. A new perfume from the Idaho Potato Commission. No. Oh. Purports to go off the aroma of french fries in all their greasy, salty splendor. So whether you're at a drive through restaurant, dining in, it's near impossible to not grab a fry and take a bite before you dive into your meal, obviously. The smell is too good to resist. You know how you can get that smell? Rub without, a french fry on you? Without having to pay for it. You just go in the kitchen and stand there while they f do their french fry thing. You can actually get paid for that smell. Oh, yeah. oh, a job? Yeah, a job. Oh. Just go get a job at McDonald's. I think I just broke out in hives. <laughs> Oh, Lord. All right. They call it Fritis by Idaho. It's a limited edition fragrance. You can get a 1.7 ounce bottle for $1.89. Oh, my God. So we're talking some high-end stuff here. And it actually sold out on the website. Oh. The fragrance, which the Potato Commission says captures, quote, one of the world's most irresistible scents, end quote, is made from distilled Idaho potatoes, which... Sounds like vodka to me. And essential oils. The commission actually did a recent national survey that found nearly 90% of Americans find the smell of french fries irresistible. The Idaho Commission has additional potato merchandise available for those who are addicted to spuds, including a french fry holder, some Idaho potato playing cards, a miniature <laughs> potato hauling truck, and a three-foot-tall spuddy buddy if you're lonely. If your perfume's not working. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes. That's, yeah. I just, you know, an invitation to dive right in. Just sprinkle some perfume on you and uh, watch the <laughs> dive right in. That's all right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, thank you. I don't want anyone that's attracted to that smell near me. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, instead of it being like a huge turn on, like you're making out and your date's like, I could really go for some french fries right now. I'll be back. I'm going to McDonald's. I, I, I'm not yeah. sure this would like actually work. I think it would backfire. Yeah. I don't know. I think so. All right. I don't know. But I'm going to say, having worked there, I remember going home and just thinking of how gross the smell was. Oh, yeah. It's not context that I can't imagine wanting to smell right. like that. <laughs> My first, of course, my, you know, I worked at a fast food restaurant for a while. I think most people did at some point in their life. Yeah. And my first car actually had plush seats. And when my friends would get in, they were always like, it smells like fries in here. Because when you ride home, it like, it just permeated my seats. Yeah. Yeah. The bottle's really pretty. That is really pretty. Yeah, the I would buy the bottle pretty. for $1.79. $89. $1.89. Dollar eighty nine. I'm going to go on their website and see if they still have some. I'll get you guys some. Okay. And their dead silence followed that offer. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering where all I can put that smell around your house, Mary. <laughs> where you go, you're like, why does my house smell like French fries? Oh, my God. 
Why does my car smell like fresh? You asked for a tidbit. I gave you one. Wow. They're nonsensical. They make no sense. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got one for us. Okay. Now, out of the three of us, there's only one of us that that has actually achieved this. Finishing a marathon. Two of us have never even attempted it. Because when we practice for it, one of us begs for mercy. And the other one refuses to get the, the car and drive through the orchard to bring her home. Yes, I'm aware. <laughs> so, obviously, finishing a marathon, it's a very big deal. It takes a lot of training. Well, recently, there was a, uh, a, an unusual participant in a race. Okay. Which leaves a lot open right there. Yes. Yes. So, the 2022 Long Island Marathon Weekend had a 1K kids race. And they had a participant that they probably had not anticipated, but who was awarded a little teeny tiny medal. Aww. And a runner's bib. Aww. They were treated to a little cup of water. It was a duck. <gasps> Aww. Yep. Yep. The duck ran the race. And um, she had a dramatic wing flapping approach to the finish line. Aww. And there is a clip online. So it's, uh, it's very cool. It, it turns out, though, that the duck is not an amateur in competitive running. The duck, the duck has a name. The duck's name is Wrinkle. Apparently this duck is a, a celebrity in the bird world. The duck has almost 600,000 followers on Instagram. Wow. And Wrinkle in 2021 ran the New York City Marathon with a pair of specially made webbed running shoes. Oh, that is so cute. Yeah. Um, also, oh, so the, um, the 1K, the duck finished it in 18 minutes and 8 seconds. It's a duck world record. Wow. Yes. It has been an inspiring story, and, um, there's poetry that's been written about it, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of become a big deal. So if you want to see a video of this of Wrinkle the Duck running a race. There are clips online. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, Wrinkle the Duck. They should have named her Catherine. Why? Because of my story, which is about running marathons. Oh, okay. oh that's hilarious. Yes, yes, I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so right. apparently Lynn has a story for us. Wonderful. About Catherine Swizer. Okay. It was 1967, and Catherine Swizer was about to make her story. Yes, you heard me correctly. Not his story. Her story. She was the poster child for the word pernacity. Catherine was about to do something women had never been allowed to do, and thus kick open the gates that had been slammed in women's faces for centuries. What was that thing she would do, making headlines in history? She was going to run the Boston Marathon. You All see, right. less than 60 years ago, men still believed it was dangerous for women to run fast for more than two miles. There was actually a medical belief that hard, jarring motions, such as running or jumping, could hurt our uterus, making us sterile, or even cause our uterus to fall out. And that was, it was a true medical thing. They, Our uterus 
phosphorus would fall right out of our body if we ran. Did, did Rocky Flintstone write this article? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Rocky, yeah. No, no, no. In ancient Greece, women not only could not participate in the Olympics, they couldn't even watch. If a woman was caught watching, the penalty was death. In 1896, when the Olympics were brought back, women again were excluded from participating. Although, they could now spectate, as long as they kept the cheering to a polite and demure clap and didn't make a spectacle of themselves. But that year, one woman, to find a the modest Rovithi, would run the marathon route alongside the official course after being denied entry for being a woman. She finished outside the stadium, as she wasn't even allowed in, after four and a half hours. Four years later, in the next Olympics, women were at last allowed to compete, but only in sailing, golf, tennis, and croquet. You know, you can hurt yourself with a croquet mallet, right? You could hurt someone else with a croquet mallet. You could make a like, uterus fall right out. The ankles of the person next to you. Yeah. You could hit the ball at them, just yeah. saying, from personal experience or anything. Yeah, we were raised with a real croquet set. Yes, we were. That wooden mallet and those hard balls. I think they're illegal oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had lawn darts also. I know, throw them up and run like hell. <laughs> at each other. All right. We might be the reason they were outlawed. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, the next Olympics saw the cancellation of those events that women were previously allowed to enter. But they were now allowed to compete in archery. That was it. What? Just archery. So we can shoot a bow and an arrow? Oh, God, well, have yeah, you ever tried? It's going to fall out from that. It's not a hard, jarring motion. But we can't play croquet anymore? Have you ever tried to shoot an arrow? Not with a bow. Yeah. Um, I actually cannot. I tried. My son has medals from it. My arrow goes about two inches from the bow and falls in the ground. Oh. I can't. Used to go, um, target practice out in the out in the mountains. We had with the boys. We bought bows and arrows and would go out and shoot bows and arrows. Yeah, my son made it look really easy, and I was like, "Cool, I'll try." <laughs> so we can shoot a bow and an arrow, but we can't play croquet anymore. Well, it just wasn't in the Olympics, so you know they. I guess felt it wasn't. How about uh, lawn darts? Could women play lawn darts? Not in the Olympics. It wasn't in the Olympics. Okay. <sighs> All right. So, but archery. So in 1926, Violet Percy set the first women marathon record for the British Marathon. Due to the inability of women to be admitted into marathons, though, she ran the route solo. And her record as the fastest marathon by a woman stood until 1963. Wow. But some research suggests she may have only run 22 of the 26 miles due to an accidental navigation error on her part. So she thought she'd run the whole thing. She may not. She may have missed it by four miles. So, Wow. All right. So two years later, in 1928, women were allowed to finally run the 800 meter in the Olympics. Ooh. Go us. The 800 meter is just a dash less than half a mile. <gasps> yes, because we exhaust so easily. Well, unfortunately, after several women collapsed, they again banned women from running. But remember back in the 20s, women were still dressing not in ways that were probably the most, you know. 
Yeah, because they were still wearing those really tight corsets and uh, yep. cutting and, off their uh, circulation yep. and their air passages. And Can you imagine trying to run a marathon? A yeah, exactly. Well, and hoop the skirts. Other thing too is I don't know how they qualified people for running or if they just said any woman who wants to run can run. And then there, of course, are going to be people who probably shouldn't. Right. How hot was it? All of that kind of thing. So, and right. how many men collapsed too? So... Those aren't right, important. But, Those numbers are not important. Yes. Unfortunately, though, so we're, they've banned women from running again. And then in 1961, the AAU, the Amateur Athletic Union, they oversee all amateur athletic programs around the United States, officially banned women from all road races in the United States. Of any wow, distance. I'm a little offended at that. Yeah, 1961. That wouldn't stop women from running, though. A couple years after the ban, Dale Grieg, due to a wonderfully ambiguous name, was accepted as a registered runner. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> she, they don't ask what, you know, what sex you are. They just assume you're male if you have a male name. If you have a female name and they're like, oh, your name is Rebecca, you can't run your... So when they saw the name Dale, they just, okay, oh. registered Dale. Okay. So... The Isle of Wight Marathon. Her official finish time was 3 hours, 27 minutes, and 25 seconds. She was the first officially documented female marathon finisher. Oh. Yep. Uh, in 1966, Roberta Gibbs hit alongside the start for the Boston Marathon and ran it unsanctioned. After her entry was denied due to being a woman, they saw her name and were like, yeah, no, you're a woman. The directors told her women are not physically capable not even that it's going to hurt you, you just can't. It's not even possible for you to run 26 miles. Roberta finished the course with an unofficial time of 3 hours, 21 minutes, 25 seconds. Wow. For 26 miles? That's over yeah. 8 miles an hour. That's pretty damn good. Yep. Yep, that's really good. Um, that brings us to Catherine Swizer. Catherine was born January 5th, 1947, <clears throat> and grew up in Virginia playing field hockey and basketball. Part of her sports training was to run a mile every day. Once she entered Lynchburg College, she took up track and competed in the only thing available, short distance events. Okay. She transferred to Syracuse University at 19 years old, but they didn't have a women's track team. So she continued to run and train unofficially with the men's team. She trained and ran with Arnie Briggs, the university mailman who had also trained with the men's team for years and had run the Boston Marathon 15 times. And so in December of that year, 1966, she had a discussion with Arnie after talking about the Boston Marathon. She wanted to run it. Arnie believed women could not run a marathon. That's what the ongoing medical research said. And after a lot of arguing, he finally said to Catherine, if you can prove you can run 26 miles and run 26 miles with me, I will take you to the Boston Marathon next year. So three weeks before the marathon, she and Arnie ran 31 miles. Holy cow. Guess she proved now, it. Yes. She not only proved it at the 26, <clears throat> but she felt so good she wanted to keep going. So Catherine was going to Boston. In order to run the marathon legally, you have to register. And after checking the registration form and the rule book, it did not specify you must be male. And she said she just figures it's kind of that thing of they did the same thing. If they saw a female name, they were like, yeah, no, and they sent you back your your entrance fee. Right. So 
realizing the minute they saw her name, they would send back her $3 entrance fee. It's now like $300. Wow. And they refused to register. Yeah, it's expensive. In the Boston, you can't just run it now. You have to qualify by running what's called a sanctioned marathon yeah. under a certain time. And then they also have like uh, spots that they do. They put names in and do a drawing if you're close to the time. But yeah, you, you can't just run it. I would never run the Boston Marathon. I've never no. been close to the time. Oh, okay. Nope. You gotta be fast. It is. This is the Boston Marathon is kind of the elite marathon. It is the marathon of marathons, I guess. Okay. All right. So, um, so what did she do? She registered as K. V. Swizer. She just used her initials. A week later, her boyfriend, who was a nationally ranked hammer thrower at her university and not a runner at all, announced he wanted to go with them and another friend because if a girl could run the marathon, so could he with no training. Oh. Yeah. If a girl can do it, he can do it. He doesn't even need to be a runner. Must not be hard. The night before Having the a baby's not hard either. Yeah. <laughs> the night before the marathon, they drove the course, and Catherine began to feel angry. She called her dad that night, who knew what a strong person his daughter was, and he told Catherine how tough she was. She had trained hard for a long time. He told her she could do it. Good for and that him. Was exactly what she needed to hear. Good for him. You go, Dad. Yep. Totally supported his daughter. Wednesday, April 19th, was a rainy, freezing cold, nasty day. Miserable conditions to be outside in, let alone run 26 miles. Around 9 a.m., Catherine and her three co-runners ate a huge breakfast to have enough fuel for the run. And as the rain turned to snow, Catherine wasn't annoyed at the thought of running in the cold. What bothered her <coughs> was that she would not be able to wear the cute new shorts and top she had bought. <laughs> wow. She wanted to look good. How and girly. Okay. <laughs> in this weather wearing that outfit. You're going to run real so, fast. <laughs> yep. So she put on a pair of sweatpants and sweatshirt over her outfit, put on her lipstick, and once they arrived at the start, Arnie went and got their race bibs, and there was hers. Kay Swizer, number <laughs> 261. She headed to the start line. A few men noticed her, and they were actually friendly. No one seemed upset that she was there. One guy even stopped her and asked for advice for his wife who wanted to take up running. Once the gun went off, the race started. Everyone surged forward together. 741 runners all going together like a school of fish. About four miles into the race, the news crew was taking pictures and pulled up alongside them. And when they realized a woman was running, they became extremely excited. This was new. It was fun for Catherine. She remembers thinking it was kind of like, ooh, my mom's going to see me. Look at me, mom moment. <laughs> a moment later, a man in an overcoat and hat was standing in the road and tried to grab her as she ran past. She slipped from his grasp, but he managed to pull off one of her gloves. She had no idea who he was or why he tried to grab her. She was trying to figure it out. And as she was pondering this while running, she heard the pounding of footsteps behind her. Not the runner type of footsteps, but something else, and it gave her chills. She turned to look back over her shoulder and saw a face of a very angry man, the one who had tried to grab her. This time, he got her by the shoulders. He tried to rip off her bib while screaming, Get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers! Arnie, yeah. 
tried to intervene. He called the man Jock and told him, it's okay, it's okay, Jock, she's with me. The man, Jock, was not having it. As the scuffle was going on, photographers were snapping. Finally, Catherine's boyfriend shoved this man, Jock, to the ground. Arnie told her, run like hell, which she did. As she ran, the photography truck chasing after her, with all the commotion, her mind was whirling. Someone could get hurt. Maybe Jock was hurt from her boyfriend's shove. He did push him pretty hard. She just wanted to run the marathon, but at what cost? But she also knew if she quit now, it would be a blow to women runners everywhere. She quickly went from fear to anger, followed by the photographers asking her why she was running and what she was trying to prove. She just kept going. Eventually, Jock came alongside, hanging onto the side of a bus, yelling at her. Jock, it turned out, was Jock Semple, the race director of the Boston Marathon. Eventually, though, the press and Jock gave up and left her alone to run with her friends. As they continued the marathon, her boyfriend started to tell her that he was in trouble and it was her fault. He was going to get kicked out of that AAU for striking Jock and pushing him, and it was her fault. Now he wouldn't even be able to be in the Olympics, for which he was a contender. When she told him it was him that made the decision to shove Jock and she had not asked him for help, he became even more enraged and continued to blame her, yelling at her as they ran. Then he announced she was running too slow anyway before tearing off his number and taking off ahead of them. His mental abuse tore at her. She was freezing and wet. Her hand with no glove was numb, and her sweatshirt sleeve was too short to pull down over it. She was miserable, and they were only six miles into the race. John, another runner from the university who had come with them, Arnie and Catherine continued to run silently together, each in their own head trying to find that mental fortitude you need to finish a marathon. Catherine realized her soaking wet sweatpants were dragging her down, so she stopped and removed them. A young boy grabbed them, happy at his souvenir. Taking <laughs> them home and trying to explain this to his mom. That's awesome, though. It helped up the mood. About halfway through the race, they came across her boyfriend, who was walking by then. He asked Catherine to walk with him. She told him she couldn't. She needed to keep her momentum up and continue to run. He handled it about like what you would expect and yelled, I would never leave you. Uh, what? Uh, yeah. What? Did, is, didn't he already? Yep, that is exactly what he had done earlier. Well, wow. you know she's running too slow. Wow. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. I think we all have a picture of her, her boyfriend who did not say her boyfriend. As they approached the finish, she realized she had done this. No one had stopped her or arrested, and she was going to officially complete the Boston Marathon. <laughs> Good for her. At the finish line, surly reporters peppered her with questions such as, and this, you guys, is directly from Catherine. She wrote a book about this, so this is right from her. What made you do it? I like to run. The longer, the better. Oh, come on. Why, Boston? Why wear numbers? Women deserve to run, too. Equal rights and all that, you know? Will you come back to run again? Yes. They're going to ban your club. Then we'll change the name of our club. Are you a suffragette? Huh? I thought we got the right to vote in 1920. Suffer. On the way home, they stopped for gas and snacks when Catherine 
saw the news with her pictures all over the front and back. I wonder, did did the boyfriend get to ride home with them, or was he still walking? <laughs> no, she said he finished. He did. He finished the race. Well, that's, that's good. She, she beat his time, though, which... Obviously, know. yeah. So, yeah, um, he did finish, and... Uh, I'd have left him there. Well, they were nicer, I guess, than us. I'd have been like, I, I'm running too slow for you. I'm sorry. We'll see you later. Yeah, that's us. We're not quite as nice as Catherine. She's a very nice person. So there were her pictures. Catherine running. Catherine being attacked by Jock. Jock being shoved by her boyfriend. Catherine, after the race, in her bloody sock. You see, after a long race, it's not uncommon to have these horrible blisters that have rubbed raw and bleed, as well as bloody toenails. So once you take your shoes off and your feet swell up, sometimes you're stuck in your bloody socks. Catherine had kicked open the gates, not because she wanted to be a big hotshot female that changed the world, but because she simply wanted to run a marathon, the Boston Marathon. But that wasn't enough. She continued to fight and champion for women to be allowed to run marathons. It took five more years before Boston would finally allow women to run. In 1972, eight women qualified to run. They had to, they had to qualify by running as fast as the men. And Catherine came in third. Finally, eight years later, the American College of Sports Medicine released the news that they could find no evidence that women were not physically capable of running a marathon. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, eight years after that. And they also said they suffer no more medical issues than men from doing so. You mean our uteruses really don't fall out? They don't. Funny enough, I gotta tell you, you might feel like it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Does it cause sterility? I remember what it looked like for Linda Walk after her marathon. Yeah, it's it's pain. It is you. It's mental fortitude and being willing to suck up a lot of pain. It hurts. It hurts worse than I think anything else I can think of. So in 1982, 60 years after the men's, the first women's NCAA track and field championships were held, and two years later, the Olympics finally held the first women's marathon in Los Angeles. Catherine continues to this day to be a part of the running world. It's not uncommon to see her at some of the bigger events and marathons. She's always warm and gracious. She often stops for photos when asked. My friend told me about finishing a race and having Catherine at the finish line pressing a medal into her hand and saying (laughs) that she was a strong woman. Catherine Swizer is truly a remarkable woman. Wow. That's very cool. That is a huge heartwarming story. Love yes. it. Yep. Love it's it. heartwarming, but then you look at how women were treated, and it's just aggravating. And it's, the fact that, like, a yeah. duck can, and nobody's like, oh, a duck can't run. I'm like, <clears throat> right. Yeah. Well, it's weird to me to think, I don't know, it doesn't seem like 1960s, 1970s was that long ago. And then, right. then you start thinking, oh, wait. That was like 50 and 60 years ago. Yeah. Yep. Holy cow. Wow. Yep. That's crazy. That's a great story. Yeah. It was fantastic. She's on Facebook and you, and like, I don't know how Facebook does it, but I follow her on Facebook and there's always pictures. She's always tagged in tons and tons of photos of people who have their, their photo with her. She just, she's not full of herself. She's just very down to earth and very nice. So, very cool. That is super awesome, Lynn. 
I like that. Thank you. You always tell those awesome, wonderful, badass people stories. Well, Johanna started it with her duck marathon runner. Her oh, duck that's why you told that story. I got it. Okay, so yeah, Thomas <laughs> felt you gave us something heartwarming today. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, I it's think all because of Johanna. I just <laughs> want to say that I think it's more impressive for a duck to finish than it is for a woman to finish. I don't know. I don't, I don't think. Like I think you're comparing stuff. apples to oranges at that point in time. Honestly, I plus yeah. the duck only did a one mile, not a whole marathon. And the duck has specially made shoes. <laughs> No, the duck has run a yes. marathon. Yeah, and the duck has specially made shoes oh. just for the duck, oh, for web feed. Here's the thing that's also really impressive about it. If you think about back then, they didn't have the quality of running stuff we have oh, now. Right. They ran it in basically any tennis shoes they had. And like she said, she was wearing probably, you remember from high school, those heavy cotton sweatpant type things. Oh, before. yeah. Oh, God. I just can't imagine. I'm sure they didn't have glide. And, and they, they just act glide. like a wick. So any water you run over, they're just going to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Soak it right yeah. up. Yeah. So. Craziness. And glide is a thing that keeps you from chafing. It's a, uh, it looks like deodorant, but it's super smooth and you put it on and it stays on and it keeps things from, it, it, it makes your body parts glide. So like your legs don't rub against each other because it chafes. Yeah. Really, I actually, really I actually have some. Wow, I bought it when I went to. Yep, I bought it when I went to Arizona for hiking. Wow, I can't imagine running a marathon in cotton wet clothes and how much chafing everywhere. If you think they didn't have sports bras for women, so I don't even want to think about the chafing from a bra or everything bouncing around up there. Yep, and and trying to hold your uterus in at the same time. Yeah, I can't be easy. Yeah, and she was wearing (laughs) lipstick. (laughs) I yeah, love I mean, that. Think about it. You're like, you've got to run a whole marathon with your hand between your legs so your uterus doesn't fall out. Yeah. Yeah. That's some talent right and there. She, yeah, she better timed her boy than her boyfriend. I love it. That's awesome. Love it. Wow. Wow. That was... Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks to everybody who stopped by and spent a little bit of their time with us today. Listen to Lynn's story, which was pretty awesome, heartwarming, and... A little thought-provoking. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. You can find us at Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know or at TMSIDNTK at Gmail. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And our Facebook actually has links for everything. If you have uh, suggestions, ideas, or comments, feel free to send them our way. We love it. If you enjoyed it, um, feel free to rate and review us. Those five-star ratings help other people find us. And you can basically find us anywhere you uh, are find any podcast we're on almost every streaming platform at this point in time anything else to add ladies not a word wow lynn nope nope not even a squirrel wow <laughs> till next week guys we love you thanks for sharing part of your day with us and have, have have a great one and stay mischievous bye bye this is essie featured This is the power of sports. She ran when they told her it was impossible. She ran for equality. She ran for change. She ran with a purpose. I run because she showed us we could.
I didn't feel what I was doing at Boston was any breakthrough. That day produced, I think, one of the great moments in sports ever. It was the birth of Catherine Switzer as a symbol of women in sports. I'll never forget, I came home from school one day and said to my parents, I'm going to be a high school cheerleader next year when I go to high school. And without missing a beat, my father said, you don't want to be a cheerleader. Cheerleaders cheer for other people. You want people to cheer for you. The game is on the field. Life is to participate, not to spectate. And it was like this whole new concept. Catherine Switzer found a passion in running and arrived at Syracuse University in the mid-60s but there was no women's cross-country team. Switzer was invited to practice with the men's team and caught the eye of volunteer coach Arnie Briggs. To keep me motivated, he would regale me with stories uh, about his exploits at the Boston Marathon. So that came the day I said, I'd like to run the Boston Marathon too. And without missing a beat, my beloved Arnie Briggs said, a woman can't run the Boston Marathon. And I said, what do you mean a woman can't run the Boston Marathon? He said, women are too weak and too fragile for 26.2 miles. And I said, women throughout history have done arduous things. He exploded in rage. He said, no dame ever ran no marathon. And I said, then you don't have a training partner unless you believe some woman sometime can run one. And he said, I believe you could, but you'd have to prove it to me. And if you'd show me in practice, I'd be the first person to take you to Boston. Even though a woman had never officially run the Boston Marathon, Switzer and Briggs found no gender-specific restrictions in the rule book. When Switzer filled out her Boston application, she signed it K.V. Switzer. The morning of Boston, all of us were wearing black plastic garbage bags over our running clothes so we would stay warm. Kathy had her hoodie up, uh, and I didn't think any of us were hiding. I thought all we were doing was trying to stay warm. There were all the officials with their clipboards checking off the bib numbers. We were all in file, pulled up my shirt with a bib number on here. They checked it off and pushed me into the starting pen. And I said to Arnie, I went like this, and he said, see, I told you there wasn't going to be any problem. The tension has been building up so much, and when that gun goes off, down the street, you go, Shoo. I felt like a pilgrim going to Mecca. So at about two miles, all of a sudden, the press bus comes by us, honking its horn and making us move over. The press bus was not only carrying reporters and photographers, but also race director Jock Simple and New York Times writer Frank Litsky. And one of the writers spotted a woman running with a number. The writer said, still hear it. Jack, there's a woman in your race. And Jack froze, looked. He said, stop the bus, stop the bus. I only heard him at the last moment because I heard leather shoes on the pavement, like that. And I turned and he grabbed me. He screamed at me, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers, and went like this to pull off my bib numbers. And over here, my boyfriend, 
didn't say a word, but cut in just like that and gave him incredible shoulder charge. And Arnie said, run like hell. I realized that if I quit this race, which I felt for a split second like doing because I was so scared and embarrassed, if I quit that race, nobody would believe women deserved to be there or that they could do the distance. And I said, Arnie, I'm going to finish this race on my hands and my knees if I have to. Switzer indeed finished the race in four hours, 20 minutes, proving with an official bib number and time that women are capable of running long distances. I think the biggest turning point in women's sports in terms of this incident was the photograph. All these years later, that is one of the most galvanizing photographs in the women's rights movement because it moved from running immediately into the social context. Switzer always had the drive. Now she had the power of celebrity to affect the global running community. Switzer's first step was to help get women officially accepted into major marathons. Next, she partnered with Avon to create global, women's-only races. Those events eventually led to the inclusion of the marathon in the 1984 Olympic Games. I always thought that being a major driver and getting the women's marathon into the Olympic Games was the epitome of my career. So who would have ever imagined that all of a sudden this bib number, 261, would suddenly become a magic number, meaning fearless in the face of adversity. Catherine founded 261 Fearless, a nonprofit with a goal of empowering women around the world through running. 120 members will join Switzer on April 17th as she celebrates the 50th anniversary of her first marathon. The running has made a social revolution for women that we can really begin a global initiative which is going to take clubs, training, events to women all over the world so that they can have the same feeling you have from running. I don't think a day passes when I really don't thank Jock Semple for attacking me in the race. He not only angered me and frightened me, but he inspired me. Two, six, one!